Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast. Helping you invest in property for freedom, choice and profit. You'll learn new, innovative and multiple streams of property income. Whether you want to start, scale or systemize. And even if you don't have deposits. Hi, Kevin McDonald here and welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast. Today's episode of the podcast, I've got a very special guest, Ahmed Khan. Now, Ahmed Khan's been in property for a few years now, but he started his property journey while still in university and built up a property business in London, never went into a career and just continued to scale that property business. So I'd like to talk to him today and find out how he did this and maybe give you some ideas on how you could too. So Ahmed, thanks for joining us. No, thanks for having me. Yeah, so um, obviously, first time I met you was how many years ago? God, I think about seven years ago, maybe? Yeah, a long Six, seven time years ago. ago, yeah, been a while. So back when I had hair. So <laughs> I didn't really. Um, so about seven years ago, you were in university. Yeah. Thinking about doing what career? Well, I, I, did, I studied economics, so I wanted to go into finance. Okay. Which was a natural you know, progression. Right. But, but that didn't really quite pan out. So I, I think I applied for about 30 different jobs, internships, and everything else. Nobody wanted you. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> And then I think I went to an MSOPI event. Yes, MSOPI, uh, for anybody listening, is Multiple Streams of Property Income, which is Progressive's flagship mm. event, but um, we call it MSOPI. Yeah, so went to one of those and then uh, just thought that could be an, you know, an alternative rather than getting your job straight away in finance. So I think that's probably, probably the first time we would have met at one of those events. So wait a second, so you're studying in university. Yeah. In where? What uni? Uh, I went to UCL in uh, London. So you see a University College London. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm surprised studied. you know that. Yeah, I know, being <laughs> Irish. So what you were what year were you in, in uni? Uh, what year? What year of the university? Oh no, year uh, year three. You were in year, year three at yeah, university. Final year. final year. And you were studying economics and business? Just economics. Yeah, oh, just economics, economics so. yeah. And you decided to attend the multiple streams of property income and thought that could be an alternative to an economics career. Yeah, I mean, where, where first of all, head? economists don't really get paid much anyway, so that, you know, that, that was never the option. Right. But, but I thought the alternative was something to do with finance, banking, consulting, one of those careers. Right. Uh, but then, you know, which, which sounds good, but if you actually add up the hours, like you know, if, you, if you're doing 80 hours a week and you know, so on and so forth, it's like, yeah, you're, you're making good money, but it's like, how long can you technically keep doing that for? And you don't have as much control as you would like. So it, it felt like an alternative. And the other thing was, I did try other things in the middle that I thought, well, maybe if I make an app or something and I'll make money that way. Yeah. <clears throat> but, but you know, the problem is you don't have clear steps laid out. It's, it's like, well, you know, what, what's step one? What's step two? Yeah. Whereas when you do something in properties, like as long as someone else has done it, it's a bit more repeatable. Whereas yeah. if you had made an app about, I don't know, like a music, and app, uh, music app, now I'm making some art app, it's like, yeah, you've done that and I'm doing something else, but there, there might be some similarities, but it might not be step one, step two, step three. Right. Whereas with the property, it's like, well, like you, you know, find an area and then find this thing and then find this thing. And I, I, I thought, well, you know, if this guy can do it, then... <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if Kevin can do it, surely. Uh, no, but that, that, it, it is true, though. Yeah. It, it is true. It's a lot more repeatable because if you're doing something in, I don't know, Peterborough, and I'm doing something in Stevenage, it's yeah. going to be the same process. It's just the area is different. Whereas with a lot of other businesses, the entire thing could be completely different. Right. So that, that's, you know, that, that was sort of what attracted me to... Okay. And you waited until you were in year three of your economics degree to figure this out. 
Yeah, it took a while, it took three years, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> By the way, I can pick at him like this because I've known him for seven years now, so. This is uh, the first time we're meeting. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, how much did you spend at uni in th those three years between like I think I think everything? about I think about 42,000, including, you know, the, the, the maintenance loans and uh, the, the student fees, but that's just, that's just the loans I took out, right? Yeah. That doesn't include accommodation and food and everything else. So if you, if you add everything, uh, maybe, maybe close to 60. Right. If right. not more, yeah, you know, plus the plus the interest on those loans. If you if you equate that as well, I've I've no idea what the final number would be, but but definitely over sixty, accounting for everything. Right. When you started in in you attended that multiple streams of property income event. How far off finishing you, your final year were you? Oh, um, it it would have been like I don't know six months. Okay. Did you finish? Finished university? Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm mean, I grew up an Asian household. I had to finish. <laughs> like, <laughs> of course. So you got your degree. Yeah. yeah had to finish. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you definitely. did you go in and get a job, or did you just say, Do you know what, I'm not going to bother getting a job. I'm just going to go all in on property. You know, like I said, I, I tried to get a job. I couldn't get a job. So eventually, I gave up trying to get a job, especially once I saw that there was an alternative. Yeah. Because what happened was, before, when I was in university, I thought the only way you could invest in property was you need to have a lot of money in order to buy to let. So I, I thought, okay, well, f yeah, going back to your point, did it take me three years? Because, yeah, I, I knew about property from year one, but it was like, well, yeah, I don't have five, you know, 100,000 pounds, 80,000 pounds, 40,000 pounds lying around. So I thought it would be something, you know, you, you get a job, you save some money up, and then you do property. Because mm -hmm. I, I, like, my, you know, like, for example, my uncle has a property, and, but, but he's a doctor, he makes a good income, and then he puts that into property. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, I, I thought I was going to do this on the side, but when I went to these sort of events and there were, you know, there were ways of investing in property which didn't require 20,000, 40,000, 50,000, the fact that you could work with other people, you could join venture, you can use their money, that's when I really started to see that actually this is something I could do now as opposed to yeah. alongside slowly in five to ten years. So yeah, that, that's why it took so long because for me, for me it was, well, I, I don't have 50,000 pounds lying around. That's yeah. interesting because I, I hear this a lot from people where they, when I meet people for the first time, they think property is something to do on the side as a retirement plan. Yeah, yeah. When you can actually start to realize it should be a now plan. Mm -hmm. um, because that's what we see, right? Like from the outside, you, you don't, especially in the media, you hear about buy to lets. You hear about the person and, and you hear, well, buy to lets not longer work because the rates have gone up or this has happened or that's happened. And that is what the general public is doing. But they aren't aware of all the, you know, the rent to rents and the joint ventures and everything else yeah. and the BRRs and so on <coughs> and so forth. So when you get introduced to property, it is with, with the perspective that is something which is slow and stable and it's going to take, you know, 30, 40 years to, to kind of get to where you want to get to. So of course you're not going to see it as a, as a viable plan. So how did you start? So you had your eyes opened up and your mind opened up to the fact you could do it now. What was your first step into getting going then? So uh, I did what was called progressive VIP at the time. Yeah, so, so the academy. Yeah. The academy, yeah. And there was a person, and you know, at that stage I was still figuring out what exactly do I do because there's, yeah. you go from thinking it's just buy to let to suddenly hold on. So there's, there's like 10 things. You can do like uh, rent to rent HMOs and rent to rent service accommodation and deal packaging. So there was like a, there's an interim period, I think, where everyone looks at the options and they figure out, well, do I do this one or do I do that one? Mm -hmm. And there was someone on the academy or VIP, or whatever you want to call it, who was um, doing rent to rent service accommodation in London. Yeah. And so I basically approached them because, you know, it's, it's a small circle when you're in those groups and 
there's a bit more trust because you know it's not a random person off the street. They kind of recognize, well, we're all in this community, you know, this this small circle. And I said to them, uh, I'll work for you, not for free, but for commission, right? right? But he's already got the infrastructure set up. I'll sort of come along, I'll, I'll help you with things, I'll help you raise money and those sort of bits, and I'll, I'll take a part of the deal. So I started doing that, which uh, gave me the confidence, gave me the experience, gave me mm -hmm. some credibility. And then, he, like I said, he was doing rent-to-rent -rent service accommodation. Yeah. Did a few with him, and then... Uh, so what did, you, what did you do in that? So for a lot of people watching this, they'll go, I can't do property because I don't have any money, I don't know where to start, etc. So basically, you, got, you came and learned how to do property. You joined the academy, so you got people around you. And you basically said, I'll work for free, but for a fee. Yeah, so because... A commission. Yeah, because I, I think we'll both agree on this, which is in property, you either need the expertise or you need the money. Yeah. It's, it's, like, it's like you need one of the two. Yeah. So if you don't have the money, you need the expertise. And so one way you get the expertise is by working for someone for free or for commission, right? Yeah. Because if I said, give me a job, he wasn't going to give me a job. Mm. But, but I was like, listen, I'll just do it for free. If it works, I'll mm. take a commission out of it. But what that does is it gives you credibility and it gives you experience. So when you start raising your own money, yeah. so then, then the transition was I started doing my own rent-to-rent -rent projects. But then I started raising money from other people because now I had credibility. Yeah. So, so my advice always is if you don't have money or experience, you're not going to get money out of thin air. So let's just park that to the side, right? Yeah. Because, because you know, unless you can start saving something, but let's just assume you can't because you have rent and mortgages and everything yeah. else to pay. It's like, well, that thing is not going to get solved. So let's just park that to one side. Yeah. The only thing you can solve is expertise. And the only way you're really going to do that is by actually maybe working with someone or maybe you have a mentor and you, know, you can work with them and you can leverage their credibility and say, hey, I don't know, I work with Kevin on this thing, X, Y, and Z, yeah. and, and do it that way. Because then that allows you to raise money for your projects. Yeah. Because you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you have, even if you have 20,000 pounds to start with, it's not going to take you that far. Mm. Eventually, you're going to have to get to a stage where you're working with people, you're, you're coming up with creative solutions to do something. So <clears throat> that's, that's kind of what I did, you know. Um, it wasn't like some master plan at the time. It just felt like, well, I, I, need, I need a way to get, go, you know, to get going. Yeah. And that was the easiest way to get going. Right now, obviously, we're breaking it down and it, as if it was some sort of like master plan that I was going to do this and this. At the time, it was like, well, this guy is saying, hey, I can work for, you know, work for free. I'll yeah. make some commission out of it. That gave me credibility. And, but now, obviously, we can turn into some sort of road plan which, uh, which someone else can copy. But Do you think um, <coughs> the reason a lot of people don't get success is they're not willing to do stuff for for free, say, or where you know when they go and go, what do you mean? They're, they might be listening to this going, you worked for free, uh, Irish that, I ain't doing that, that's a word for you can put whatever word in there you like. Um, I, I'm not doing that for free, I, I'm going to stick at my job because I'm going to get paid at the end of the mm. month. Now you think a lot of people, they, um, they want the income without the work, they want the result without the effort, and, and that might be why they never get success? You know, I, I think it's partly that for example, you might say that, hey, I raise money, and, I, and I'm talking about raising money. But people, but sometimes the stories about how that started, they get missed out. So they look at someone like you, and you're raising money, and then they start to raise money. But obviously, it, 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 maybe it doesn't work because they haven't done it the right way, or they don't have credibility, or they haven't done the small stepping stones. And if there's a small failure, then they give up. Yeah. Whereas they haven't done the hard stuff, which, you know, which is like a prerequisite to raising money. Mm. So I, I think maybe sometimes there's like a perspective issue. 
they're like, well, Kevin's doing a no money down deal, like, you know, or like Kevin's raised a million pounds, like that means I should be able to raise a million pounds. But they might not know the first time you raise money, maybe you raise 10,000 pounds or 5,000 pounds, right? But, but they go straight for the million as opposed to the 3,000 or 4,000 because the first time I raised money, I raised 2,000 pounds, you know, it's like. The first time I raised money was actually, you were bang on 10 grand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was from the guy who sat next to me at work. Yeah. Yeah, literally, a guy called John Topham, if you're watching, thank you very much. He sat next to me at work and he lent me money, but it basically on a handshake. Yeah, yeah. And it was because he said, I know where to find you because mm. I was next to him at work. <laughs> so, and that's about telling everybody what you do. Yeah. So it's true, you don't start with them. Some people might start with a million, but you start with smaller <coughs> amounts. Um, yeah, so if they want to replicate what you're doing, it's like, yeah, start with 10,000 pounds. Or what I'm doing, start with 2,000 pounds. I've just done a project now, uh, we bought a house to turn into five flats, yeah. and we raised like more than 200,000 pounds. But, but, you know, I wouldn't advise that to someone necessarily day one. It's like, yeah, yeah. just do 2,000 pounds, then do 10,000, maybe then 20. But then if you're gonna to jump to 200,000, it's yeah. not that you can't do it, but of course it's gonna be harder than 2,000. And if it doesn't work for like, let's say three weeks, people go, oh, well, it doesn't work. Maybe what he's saying, you know, it doesn't actually apply anymore. That, that was back in 2017, 2016. But so it's they like, make excuses. Yeah, but it's like you can raise 2,000 pounds in 2023. Now, for anybody listening to this as well as going, well, 2,000 pounds, what good is that to you in property? That won't get you a deposit, etc. What did you use the 2,000 pounds for and why yeah, is 2,000 yeah. pounds valuable? So I did rent-to-rent service accommodation. So essentially you're renting a property and then you're, for the lack of a better word, subletting on Airbnb. Even though it's not subletting because you have a contract in place, so people think if it's subletting, that means you can't do it. Anyway. um, Yeah, a lot of people think subletting is illegal. Subletting is not illegal. Subletting without permission is illegal. Subletting with permission is allowed. Yeah, so so essentially you're renting a property, you're putting onto Airbnb and if you rent a property which is already furnished, so already has the sofas and the beds and you know all those sort of bits in, all you have to put down is a rent, <coughs> one month's rent, uh, a six-week deposit. Today, actually, you know, that was back in 2016. Nowadays, there's so many properties where you don't need to put a deposit. Mm. They, they all say in the, in the descriptions, you know, we'll take no deposit, we'll take an mm. insurance policy for the deposit. So if I was starting today, I don't think you'd even need a deposit yeah. in most cases. In fact, as a <coughs> landlord, I would prefer to take an insurance policy than a deposit. Yeah, yeah. And the reason for that is, let's say you move in as a tenant and I take a deposit off you. Well, my risk as a landlord is that you don't pay the last month's rent yeah. and you just keep the last month's rent and then I've got to take the last month's rent out of that deposit and you've also done damage so I lose money. Mm-hmm. But if I've got an insurance policy, then I can claim against whatever rent you've not paid me and whatever damage you've done. Mm-hmm. So that the insurance policy is actually worth more than the deposit. And if you present that to the estate agents, they'll, or the landlord, they'll understand that as well. So, great point. Yeah, I feel like that's yeah. become more common now. Mm-hmm. It wasn't as common mm-hmm. seven years ago. Yeah. So I had to put down one month's rent, a six-week deposit, yeah. and I think I paid about 200 pounds to the agent or something right. for like, you know, fees and those so sort of things. What you're actually saying mm-hmm. there, by the way, is that it's actually probably easier today than it was seven years ago. Yeah, because the money you need is much less, right? You don't need the six-week thing, which, yeah. w- which was the bulk of the money at that time. So £2,000, I think the rent was, the first property I rented was uh, £725 a month. It was a, uh, it was a small studio, about 25-square-meter studio uh, apartment in Stevenage. And so the rent was £725. The six-week deposit would be, I don't know, like £900, and then a couple hundred pounds in fees. So it was around the £2,000 mark, which, yeah. which gets you started. Yeah, you don't own the property, yeah. but it's one way to start in property. And you, know, you can make £500 to £1,000 a month by doing rent-to-rent service yeah. accommodation. Or on average, some months you know, it might be higher, some months it might be lower. It changes by the area, but 
it's a way to get started without yeah. much money. And then you know, what happened from there was the first property started making money. Then I used the cash flow from that one to rent the next one and now I had two making money and then you know you, you go uh, so on and so forth. Compounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so that's um, that's why the two thousand pounds was you know important right at the start. But actually more than that, the two thousand pounds, I think what it does, and even your ten thousand pounds, there is such a big mental barrier when it comes to raising money because you're like, well, who the hell is going to give me money? Because yeah. I, I would never give someone money, kind of thing. You know, I, I would now, but at that time, yeah, it's like it's like. I was 21 years old, it's like, why would someone give me money? Or like, why would someone give you money? It's like, you have a, a normal job, it's like 10,000 pounds. That's, that's still a lot of money. A lot of money, yeah. So, but I, I think the, the biggest thing with the 2,000 pounds, or the 10,000 pounds, is you get over this mental barrier that, that's, you know, this, the fact that you can raise money. <clears throat> Whereas, uh, otherwise, it just feels like, well, no one's ever gonna give me money. And that's probably more important than the 2,000 pounds anyway. Yeah, when, when I grew up, <laughs> my parents always said, never a lender, nor a borrower be. And right. today I'm like always a lender and a borrower be. <laughs> so um, you got going, you started doing rent to rents, um, you started building up cash flow. <coughs> then what did you do next? Was that, all, was that going to be your long term plan on rent to rent? Uh, so I, I think with the rent to rent strategies, I treat that as a short to medium term strategy. Mm. They use it, make some cash flow, save up that money, and then start buying property. Yeah. Right? Purely because in 10 years time, 20 years time, property values are gonna go up, rents are gonna go up, and you know, it's something you couldn't even pass on to the next generation. Yeah. It's something which is a lot more stable, it's much less risky. The benefit of rent to rent is, requires very low money, uh, very less money, uh, uh, and, and you can make a very high return. Yeah. You're putting in 2,000 pounds, you might make 4,000 pounds a year, you know, or 5,000 pounds a year, so the return is huge. But at the same time, there's a lot more work involved. It's, it's, yeah. you, know, you can say it's riskier than a buy-to-let, right? Yeah. Purely because with a buy-to-let, you just you know, buy it and add some value and rent it out. Yeah. It's, it's very simple. So I started doing rent-to-rent, -rent, uh, did quite a few of those, and then started saving up money. And then I bought a one-bedroom flat in London to turn into a two-bedroom flat, uh, and then I refinanced. So yeah. buy something cheap, add a lot of value, refinance, get the bulk of your money back, and then use that money to buy the next one. So yeah, I was buying one bed, turning them into two beds. I think there's a bit of a paradox in there, what you spoke about, and a lot of our listeners, what they do is they go, oh, I don't want to rent, do rent to rent, I don't want to like, make money to manage somebody else's property, I want to own my own. So what they do is they say, I want to own my own, but they don't actually have the money to own their own, so they never get started. Um, but with rent to rent, what you're getting at is, by making cash flow from rent to rent, it's actually a stepping stone to be able to own your own. And it's not the long-term thing, because when you do rent to rent, yes, lower money in, but cash flow. But the buying of the property, the buy, refurbish, rent, refinance, you can add value the day you buy it, and you can create long-term legacy. But the challenge for most people is they can't get going because they don't have the credibility, they don't know how to raise the money, they don't have the money to get started. Mm -hmm. But rent to rent actually allows you, I guess, it positions you to be able to get cash flow easily, but also... Did it help you raise finance, being, being seen doing deals, even though there were rent-to-rent deals? Did that help you raise money? Yeah, that's actually, that's actually a very good point, because what happens is, it doesn't matter what you're doing in property, whether you're doing rent-to-rent, -rent, you're doing deal packaging, you're doing HMOs, because from the outside, the people who are gonna lend you money, they, from their perspective, you're just doing property. They, you know, they don't understand the intricacies of one's a rent-to-rent, -rent and one's a buy-to-let, and one's a BRR. So when it came to raising money, and so for example, I raised money from doctors and stuff, right? <clears throat> they know I have done a lot of stuff in property. Yeah. They, they don't know the fact that one is rent to rent and one is this and one is that. So 
Because when whatever you do in property, you get you get credibility from the fact that you have done that particular thing. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, it, that's, it's a good point because it made raising money so much easier. Whereas if I had jumped into the harder stuff, which required a lot of money from day one, well then it's like why would I give you a hundred thousand pounds? It's like what have you done before? But now I can point to three years worth of work, saying well I've you know done a deal in London, in Stevenage, in you know like yeah, yeah. All, all over the place. And yeah, it's, it's a good point because it does give you credibility. It's the word in there as well. I've done a deal in Stevenage, London. Not saying I've purchased a deal, but you have done a deal. Yeah, because it. yeah, it's, it's like you know, like if, if if someone's a doctor, I don't know if they're like a knee surgeon or if they're this. I just know they're a doctor, right? It's like I don't know the intricacies of. Like for example, most people, it's like like my cousins and stuff. Their day jobs. I don't. I don't. I, I know they work in banking, but I don't know, you know, like what specific tiny thing they're doing in banking. It's just I know they work at a good firm. They have credibility yeah. for, for you know in, in that particular field. So when I was doing property, people knew I had credibility in this field. So when I transitioned, yeah. actually that was you know funnily enough that was part of the plan as well. In, at the end, which which was that I knew if I could do rent to rent and get going, I, I knew it wasn't a be all and the end all, but I knew if I could get going with this. When it came to doing the harder stuff or the bigger stuff, it would make raising money so much easier. Yeah. Because I had done something, whereas most people haven't done anything. Yeah, got you. So how long did, was it before you then started to buy property from when you got going initially? I bought my first one December of 2018. Uh, so about, about two years. Two years. About yeah. two years. Okay, yeah, so yeah. you spent the first couple of years building cash flow, building credibility, mm -hmm. um, you know, learning. It could have been then, faster, yeah. but, but it's just, you know, um, as you learn, you make different decisions. So I just felt that was the right time. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. Then your first one was this property. First one was a yeah. It, it was a one bedroom. No, it was a one bedroom flat, which I turned into a two bedroom flat yeah. in, in, in Battersea Park in London. It was an ex council. Uh, bought that for two thirty seven, revalued at three hundred twenty thousand after six months. So it, it went up by you know almost like a hundred thousand pounds in in six months. And given all I did was. Yeah, you know, I was buying these one bedroom flats which had a separate kitchen. I'd move the kitchen into the living room, make open, make it an open plan living room, and then turn the kitchen into a bedroom. So it's like, you know, it's, it's like a handyman can do that, right? And that was actually another thing, which is what happens is, <clears throat> when I move from rent to rent to buying properties, in my head I was like, well, there's, people are doing the huge things like buying houses and commercial conversion and, you know, turning them into flats and all, <clears throat> all sorts. Again, talking about the stepping stones, in my head I was like, there's no way I have the experience or the confidence to do something big. Yeah. So I was like, what is literally the easiest property development I can do? And that's, you know, going back to, you know, us talking about, well, what, where do people get stuck? I think people look at property development and they go, well, I want to do something big. Yeah. In my head, I was like, there's no way I can do anything big. So I was like, what's the, what's the simplest, easiest thing I can do? The easiest thing was, let's just move a kitchen around, right? Yeah. Because, I, you know, it's like, I know how that works. Whereas I don't know how, yeah, it's the structure and the foundations and you know with all the property development. I've, I've got no idea how any of that works. Comes but back but to a that kitchen is like... Big, think big, start small. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's a good way of putting it. So for me, that was the natural progression. Let's just move a kitchen, do it that way. So I did five of those. Uh, did one in Vauxhall, London Bridge, Battersea, Brixton, West Hampstead. Uh, and then in my head, I was, I was like, well, what's the next stepping stone here, right? I bought a three-bedroom terraced house, uh, terraced house uh, turned that into two flats. So no extensions, no nothing. Again, it was, it was a bit of a jump, but not a huge jump, right? I didn't go into, let's buy a house and turn it into 15 flats or anything along those lines. Yeah. Did two flats. Then I bought a house, turned that into four flats. Then two weeks ago, we just uh, completed on something, which is a house into five flats. So, <clears throat> you know, one bed into Not a two a bed, house into two, house into four, house into five. 
But I think on social media, it's like if I make a video where I've just done a house into five flats, people assume I've just started and I've, and I've yeah. jumped straight into this. But they, they've missed the bits where I was raising 2,000 pounds for a small rent-a-rent -rent yeah. deal. And it's like you need those stepping stones. It's like, you know, you have to do key stage three to do GCSEs. And it's like you have to do GCSEs to do A-levels. You know, your end goal isn't GCSEs, but you have to do GCSEs to yeah. do the A-levels and you have to do A-levels to do a university degree and you need a degree to get a job. And it's like, it's the same thing. But I think people miss all of that and they look at the degree and they go, well, I want the degree. It's like, well... Do you think anybody <laughs> can do this? Well, I think anyone can do the simplest way of, the simplest strategy there is. So anyone can do, let's just say, turning a one bed into a two bed. It's like, why, why can't someone do a one bed into a two bed? Yeah. I, I think anyone can't do a house into multiple flats, but they can do a one bed into a two bed. Yeah. But what happens is the second you do that, that unlocks the experience and the confidence to do the, next the house into two, and you know, then the house into four, then the house into five. So yeah, anyone can do, because all you have to do is think about it this way. Let's say you have no experience and no confidence whatsoever. F forget all the fancy stuff, right? Just work out what is the easiest thing which even I could do, right? Yeah. Because for me that was, I could probably buy a house and, uh, sorry, buy a one bed and turn it into a two bed. It's, it's like, you know, the flat's 40 square meters. It's, yeah. it's not massive, a handyman could do it. So for me, I was like, I can't do what Kevin's doing. I can't do what Rob's doing. I can't do what Mark's doing. I, I can turn a one bed into a two bed. So, so that was what I believed I could do. Yeah. Uh, for someone else, it, you know, it might be, well, I think I can start by turning house into two flats. For someone else, it might be, I think I can buy a house and I can uh, buy a flat and I can refurb it. For, forget even the one into a two. I, I think anyone can do something, but maybe not the most complicated thing. But yeah. you don't need to do the complicated mm -hmm. thing. It's like, you just have to start but somewhere. You think, uh, having started with the easy stuff, anybody can learn and grow as they go? I think what happens is, you know, even if you do something very simple in property, let's just say you buy a one bed and you turn mm. into a two bed, you still get like 85% of the learning curve. Because whether you turn a house into six flats or you do a one bed into a two bed, the finance is the same, the legal process is the same, uh, you know, the way you work out the comparables, the, you know, the final value, 90% of it's the same. Mm. So funnily enough, when I went from doing one beds into two beds, let's say I learned 85%. When you then go from that to turning a house into two flats, the only additional thing you need to know is how to get planning permission. Mm. The rest is exactly the same. When you go from a house into two to house into four, the only additional thing is how do I do a side extension? When you go from a four into a five, that side extension becomes a slightly larger side extension. But, but it, it's not like, the ha for example, you know, if you work as a, as a doctor or something and you have 10 years of experience and someone has one year of experience, mm. the guy with 10 years of experience it's not like they know 10 times as much, they might know twice as much. Yeah. Be because it, it, it's diminishing, everything is diminishing. It's like, you know, for example, if someone's, someone does your property course, right? You might know twice as much of them. You might, you might not necessarily know 50 times, but it's just, you, you know, you, yeah. you, you have the experience and the perspective to apply all of it and, and, and sort of like build in stages. So yeah, that, that's why I say just start with the easiest one because you'll learn, you, you'll learn the bulk of it. It's like, you know, when you do, um, uh, people have like those fake trading accounts yep. and you, you get like a hundred pound free demo credit or something. If you have a hundred pounds or you have a million pounds, 90% of it's going to be the same in terms of like how the market moves and what to invest in, what not to invest in, how FTSE works and all those sort of things. It's just now the amount is higher. And it's the same thing with property. Mm. If you have a five bed HMO or a 10 bed HMO, it's not like the 10 bed is twice as hard as a five bed. You know, it might, it might be like slightly harder than the five bed. So, 
but you have to do the smaller one to get the confidence for the bigger one. Yeah, yeah, it's just you have to do that. It's like climbing the stairs. You can't jump to the top step. You got to go. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly the same thing. So, so raising two grand versus raising a million. Start with the two grand. Get going. And then large property versus small property, it's like raising two grand to a million. It's start with the small property and scale up towards the bigger ones as you go. And isn't that what we do with literally everything? everything. If, 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 like if you, if, you sign up, if you sign up to a gym program and you've never been to the gym before, it's like, you know, you're going to bench press like 20 kilos and then you do 25 and then you do 30. And if you go to like, you know, with your formal education, you do GCSEs and then you do A-levels. It's like with literally everything in life, you go small and then you go bigger, bigger, bigger. Uh, on the gym one, I went straight into the gym and I lifted 150 kilos. It shows, man, it shows. Yeah, and then I woke up. <laughs> yeah. But you know, that, that's what happens. I think the problem is that someone listens to your story, right? And, and they, they might not watch this video, but they might watch one where you're talking about a big deal. Yeah. Right. And they they jump to that one as opposed to all the stuff in the middle. Whereas mm -hmm. if they watch, because I, I get, for example, I make YouTube videos, and if I talk about something big, people are like, oh, that's 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 BS. It's like, no, there's 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 no way you've done this, right? But I'm like, well, but if you watch all the videos, uh, you know, I started by doing the smallest of things. It's not like I, I just jump straight to this. Yeah. But in the world of social media, that's not how people watch content, right? You, you watch whatever comes in front of the you. Current one. And, and the current one might be the the end result as opposed to something which was seven years ago. Um, so how did you, you mention YouTube? How did you get into doing YouTube videos? What was, so you start doing all this property, what made you then decide, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna document it, I guess. Which well, is, is YouTube videos, I guess you decided to document the journey? Yeah, so you know, going back to um, uh, credibility and raising awareness and everything else, it, like for example, the, the thing with uh, raising money, okay, when I started property and I knew I had to raise money and you, therefore you need investors, mm -hmm. right? When you think about investors when you're starting out, honestly, it seems like the scariest thing because you think this person is gonna be so switched on and you know, it feels yeah. like you're going to like Dragon's Den or something, right? <laughs> like, like they're gonna ask you for a business plan and everything. And so raising money in investors seems like a scary thing. In reality, and I think you'll agree with this, all you have to do is just make people aware of what you're doing. Yeah. And they'll be like, oh, that, that seems kind of interesting. I don't really know how it works, but you seem to know how it works and I've got 50 grand, do you want 50 grand? Whereas when you're starting out, you think they're going to ask you for a business plan and they, you know, they're going to ask you a million questions. So in my head, I was like, well, if I want to raise money, I don't have to go and ask people and get a begging bowl out and be like, yo, I'm looking, you know, I'm looking for yeah. money. I knew if I can just make YouTube videos and people know what I do, people email me all the time saying, I've got, I've, I've got 50 grand, I've got 100 grand, yeah. can we work together, can we do this together? So I was like, well, if, if I want to raise money, there's two ways, I can either start asking people, yeah. and then people get a bit put off because they're like, well, why is he asking me? Like, you know, is it really that good? Or I can just tell people about it, and when they approach you, it, yeah. it's, it's 100 times easier than when you approach them. So I, yeah, I, I do a lot of YouTube content because people approach me. Do you they think a lot of people look for a reason not to do stuff or for a reason to do it? Let me explain. So when they go, oh, um, two grand's not enough to get started, no point. A, a million is too much to get started, no point. Um, oh, he does YouTube videos, I wouldn't know where to start, no point. Mm. And they miss the beginning of the journey of the just getting started and all this stuff happens afterwards. They, do, do you think a lot of people look for, rather than look for a way to do something, they look for a reason not to, to make themselves comfortable about not taking action? It, it's always easier to, to make an excuse, right? Because you can, it's, it's very easy to fool yourself into thinking, well, well yeah, he can do it because of X, Y, and Z, mm. or like he can do it because maybe his, his parents helped him, or he can do it because of you know, this thing or that thing. Mm. And, and when you do that, you do feel 
technically better about yourself because you go, well, the reason I'm not doing it is because, well, I'm not fortunate or, yeah. or, or, or I'm not in a, as good of a position as that person is in. But you might get away with it in the short term, but you know, your life's still going to continue. It's like eventually, as a result, you're, you're not exactly going to have the life you want to have. But it is easy to make an excuse and just say, well, it's, 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 it's easy for him because of X, Y, and Z. Mm. It's easy for him because, oh, well, he's done that course and that guy helped him and you know, so on and so forth. Whereas to actually do it is, is hard. You know? It's like, yeah, we're talking about all these deals and stuff, but, but, it, but it's hard. It's, it's not easy. But it's like, what is easy? It's like, you know, like having a job is not easy. You know? the, the other thing is people go, well, that's, that's too hard. But it's like, yeah, but hard in comparison to what exactly? Because your job's not easy. If you want to get promoted and you want to make a lot of money and you want to get ahead, it, it might be easy based on what you're doing currently, yeah. where you know, it's quite comfortable and you're making a certain amount of salary. But if you really want to progress in your job, that's not easy either. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not like every single person is getting promoted and every single person is getting right to the top of the company. It's like, well, that's just, that's just as hard. Because the thing with property is, People all the time, they're like, well, that takes too much time. And I'm like, yeah, but compared to what? Because yeah. you're working 50 hours a week. Yeah, it takes time, but it takes five hours a week. It doesn't, you know, it's like, it doesn't take 50 hours a week. That, that's a really good point, because I meet a lot of people and they go to me, oh, I'd love to do property, but I, I can't because I've got a job. I'd love to do property, but, um, you know, if I quit my job, to do, I need to quit my job to do it. Yeah. So do, w w can they do it part-time and not quit their job? And actually, what's smarter? Quit your job and go full-time or actually do it part-time? I, I think it's smarter to do it part-time because quitting your job, all that does is it just puts even more pressure on you at the same time because mm -hmm. and then you start rushing things and then you start looking for shortcuts. You're like, well, hold on, I've quit my job, but I still have a mortgage to pay. I, I need the million-pound deal you know, in the next yeah. two days in order to make this work. Whereas if you do it part-time, but you do it with the intention of, I'm just going to do one small deal. It's, it's, it's not going to be fancy. It's just going to be something to get me going. And, and then you, you know, get bigger and bigger and bigger. And you know, when you do a small one, you sort of learn the tricks and the hacks and you work out how much time is required and you, you yeah. build your team. The next bigger one doesn't take as much time and then the next one doesn't take as much time. Yeah. My first one bed into a two bed, the entire process took around nine months to do the refurb. The second one, it took two months. You know, because the first one, I'm like, okay, well, I need to work out, well, you know, how, how the kitchen's going to move and where the furniture's going to go and where's this thing going to go. The second time around, you're like, well, I've already figured everything out. I'll just do the same thing again. Yeah. But, but you can't do that the first time around. Um, I, I think it's definitely smarter to do it part-time because then you don't have the pressure at the same time. It's like, then you can kind of just, I don't, I don't want to say take it easy, but you, you can alleviate that pressure on yourself. Yeah. And, and then you can, you can start small because you're like, well, okay, I'll make another 300 pounds a month. But yeah, fine, I've got my job going, everything else is going smoothly, I'll make another 300, then 600, then 900, and then eventually you can maybe go part-time. Maybe that's the next stepping stone, right? Yeah. You go from full-time to part-time, you work three days a week, I don't know, four days a week, whatever that is, and, and then you transition as opposed to you know, flip quickly. I, I think that's easier for most people as opposed to you know, just, just, just quitting the job day one. So you've moved from rent to rent to do, turn in one bed flats into two bed flats to turn in one house into two, two flats. Two flats. To turn a uh, house into four flats to turn a house into five flats. Mm -hmm. What's next on your stepping stone? Where, where yeah, uh, I'm looking at some stuff which is nine flats. Right. After nine flats, you get into like affordable housing and stuff. So um, I, yeah, I, I want to buy something which I can turn into nine flats. That, that would be the next stepping stone. But you know, the other thing is, which I've kind of noticed, is every time you do something and you gain some confidence, it changes your perspective on what you can do. 
right? So when I was doing the one beds into two beds, I, you know, I, I wasn't thinking about nine flats because yeah. I was like, there's no way I can do nine flats. Why would I even think about nine flats? Maybe once this project finishes, which is a house into five flats, I might be like, well, actually, screw the nine flats. Maybe I can do 15 flats. Yeah. But, but right now, in my head, I don't think I can do 15. Like, in my head, I'm like, no, no, that, that, that's too much. There, there, there's no way 15 is happening, right? But maybe, I don't know, may, maybe we'll see. Because I just feel like every time you do something, it just unlocks a bit of confidence yeah. that you can, maybe I can do something slightly bigger. That next big thing for me is nine. Once I've done nine, it might be, well, maybe I can do 15. But in my head right now, if you said to me you can do 15, I'll tell you to do one because I'm like, there's no way I can do 15. Do you remember at the start of this when you said, well, if that guy can do it, you can. Being me, yeah? <laughs> well, here's a challenge for you because right now I'm turning a cinema into 21 flats, yeah, seven yeah. offices and a gym. So I want to see you doing something as big. So 15, you're not thinking So, so in, in my head, I, I already think I can't do that. Like, because, because in my head, I'm like, I, I, going back to your point about if someone has no confidence, it's like, where do they begin? Yeah. It's like, in, in my head, I, in a weird way, I don't even want to think about it. In my head, I just want to think about my five. Then I want to think about my nine, and I don't want to be distracted by the 21, <laughs> because a part of me feels I'm going to get caught up with the 21. If I don't make it work in two months, I'm just going to be like, well, this doesn't work, and, and I'll just give up. Whereas I know if I, can do, if I do five, I'll do the nine. And if I do yeah. the nine, I know I'll do the 15. Yeah, you know, and yeah. it's like... Uh, There's like, an important message in what I just said, you see, for people listening, which is uh, immediately if they seen my video online of the 21, they'd go, I can't do that. I'm, I'm not able to do that, so I'll do nothing. Mm. And I wanted to bring that out because you might have been listening to this and going, Ahmed, my God, he's so successful, I can't do that. But we all have limiting beliefs. So like Rob Moore and Mark Homer Progressive just on 99 mm. flats. And in my head, I'm thinking, oh my God, I can't yeah. do 99 <laughs> flats. Yeah. So we all have... Um, a limiting belief. I believe I have imposter syndrome. Right. Yeah. Where I think sometimes I look and I go, do I really, have I really done and do I really have what I have in terms mm. of I got over a hundred properties now and I think, oh my God, how's that even possible? Mm. And you wake up some days and you've got to pinch yourself. Do you get any imposter syndrome about what you've achieved so far as well? You know, my, I did, but what I started doing was I just tried, uh, started being as real as possible. So in the sense that I can come here and say, yeah, yeah, I can do 20 flats, I can do 30 flats. But it's like, I know I can't. So therefore, if I, I just put out the realest version of myself, yeah. and then that way I counteract the imposter syndrome, right? Whereas if I sat here and I said to you, yeah, I can do 20, I would have imposter syndrome because I, I don't believe I could do 20. Yeah. Uh, well, this is really important <laughs> because for a lot of people listening, Ahmed's sitting here in front of me going, I cannot do this yet he's doing smaller stuff. If you're sitting at home watching this right now or listening to this and you're thinking, oh my God, I cannot do this. Remember, that's a thought we all have. We all believe we cannot do something we've not done before. And the only way to get over that is to take small steps. And that's why I wanted to bring Ahmed on today because I've, I've watched his journey over the last seven years. He's took small steps all the way, but those small steps have led to a large portfolio because it all compounds. Let me give you an example. Your portfolio today, how many properties are in it now that you own? So 11 are rented out, and then we just bought this property, which is turning into five flats, right? Yeah. So once that is done, yeah. then it'll be 16 in a row. And those are all south of England, in and around London and Stevenage area? Yeah, so five, uh, all the one beds into two beds are in London, so in, in right. zone one, or just outside of zone one. And then uh, the other 11, they'll be in yeah. Stevenage. And what's the value sure. of that portfolio? So once this project finishes, uh, the five flats, so that'll be 4.8 million. 4.8 million. And what's the monthly positive cash flow after all cost from that, roughly? 
So it's uh, 5,600 for the 11 flats. Yeah. And then uh, if you add on the five, that should take it to um, around 7,000. Right. So 5,600 pound a month coming in after all your bills are paid. That's yeah, yeah. profit before tax. But that's after like mortgages yeah. and yeah. you know. So like, after like mortgages, after bills, you're making 5,600 quid a month before tax. Very mm. important because somebody will go, oh, what about the tax? <laughs> okay, well, 5,600 before tax or you can stay in your job and you can earn whatever you earn before tax. Because you've got to pay tax on profit, but it's only on profit. Mm. And then you're going to do this one, you'll get to seven grand a month, but you've also got the equity. See, in a job, you don't have the equity. You might have the money before the tax and the money after the tax, but you don't have the equity. So advice, what would you say to anybody who is listening to this um, about what they should do if they want to make a start or they've already started but they want to scale. What sort of tips or advice would you give them? Yeah, you know, just touching on this thing about the fact that you don't believe you can do 99 flats. Let's just say you fake it and you pretend that you can do 99 flats, right? I'm not sure I can do the 21, yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like, because what I think what I try to do at the start or what people try to do is they're like, well, okay, if Kevin's doing 21, I can do 21, but then Mark's, maybe I should think bigger because Mark's doing, uh, Robin Mark doing 99, maybe I can do 99. If you technically keep extrapolating forever, uh, by default, everyone should be like doing what Elon Musk is doing, right? Like everyone should, but it's like, but, but you know you can't do what Elon Musk is doing. So <clears throat> in a similar way, that's why I don't think that strategy works of, yeah. let's just think as big as possible. Because, well, it's like, well, w like where do you stop? Because technically you should just keep thinking, even bigger, even bigger, even bigger yeah. until, until you're Jeff Bezos, right? So I, I think rather than fooling yourself and being optimistic, I think a better solution is to be pessimistic and just know your limitations. Yeah. They, they know what you can do and what you can't do. Yeah. I knew, like I did not believe I could buy a property and turn into a one bed, uh, sorry, one bed to a two bed, right? I thought the best I could do was maybe rent a flat and put it onto Airbnb. And by the way, when I rented the flat, I rented the cheapest flat I could find in Stevenage. It was literally a studio the size of this room. It, it literally had a bed, a sofa. This is a small room. Uh, you, know, you know what I mean? It was like, because I was like, this is not gonna work. And if, and if it doesn't work, I wanna lose the least amount of money possible. Because, and so the rent was 725 pounds a month, which at the time was the cheapest property in Stevenage, right? Because I was like, that, that is, the extent of what I can do here. And maybe someone can't even do that. Maybe someone has to rent a property which is 400 pounds a month or maybe yeah. 500 pounds a month, like the, you know, like whatever that is. And so I think rather than being optimistic, you, got, you have to be pessimistic and be like, you know what, I, I actually, I, I'm not that good. I don't have that much confidence. I don't have experience. I'm just gonna find the, the smallest, shittiest thing I can find and, and I'll just do that because I can't do anything else. But so what, pessimism, pessimism, but with action. Yeah, pessim yeah, pessimism, I, I think, is so much better than being optimistic. Yeah. Because when you're, when you're pessimistic, I think what happens is you don't have the pressure yeah. because you don't expect it to go well. I did that studio deal thinking it's not going to work, so I didn't really have any, uh, any, any fear. Whereas if I thought this deal is going to be making me, a, yeah, make me like a millionaire, then you start thinking, well, what if it doesn't work? What if I can't raise the money? What if I can't do this? What if I can't do that? I went into thinking, this is never going to work. <laughs> you know, like, if it, like, it, like, if it works, great, but I was like, there's no way this is going to work. Like, well, the fact that you can rent a property, stick it onto Airbnb and make more money than you know, what you're paying. But I think in a weird way, it gives you more confidence. Yeah. 
because you don't have any of the fear because you go into it knowing it's not going to work. Uh, and I, and I, that is actually my recommendation, which is just go into it knowing, just, just knowing that you suck, right? And then if you go into it with that intention, you don't do the big stuff. Like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah I, I can't do what Kevin's doing. Or I can't do what this person's doing because I, I'm not that person. I don't have the experience. I don't have the credibility. I, I don't have the confidence. But, but I can do this tiny thing. But when you do the tiny thing, that allows you to do something which is slightly bigger. Yep. And then that allows you to do something slightly bigger. And so you have like a 10-year plan as opposed to a one-year plan. Right. Uh, and I think that takes the pressure off. You know, if you right. go, well, okay, I want to achieve my goal in 10 years. Or, um, you know, I'm, I'm, this is arbitrary yeah. number. It might be five years. It might be four, four years. But if you go, okay, well, I want to quit my job in 10 years, <clears throat> you might be able to do it in two and a half. But, but you don't put the pressure on yourself to do it in two and a half. Yet, yeah. But if you go in 10 years, then, then you take it easy and you don't go, well, I need to do the million pound deal in three days. Then you go, okay, well, okay, I'll do a small one, then a big one and a big one. And you, know, it might, you might be done in three, but, but if you go, well, from when you're starting out, you go, okay, I have to do it in three years. Mm. Then you start getting into that, that, okay, well, I need to make this work in 10 minutes, otherwise, otherwise I'm, you know, I'm, I'm back to the day job. Good and advice. So, so that's my advice on that stuff. Good advice. So for anybody, by the way, that does want to look at getting started, you want to learn how to maybe start and get that first deal, and you want to be sure of not making the mistakes, then come and join us at the Multiple Streams of Property Income. There'll be a link in the description. Go click on it and get yourself to a future event. That's where Ahmed started seven years ago and started doing one step at a time. So get some support around you to help you with your pessimism or optimism or whatever it may be. Go click on that link and get yourself protected on your property journey. For anyone who's looking to keep an eye on your journey and watch you, how can they get in touch? Yeah, so uh, they're probably watching this on YouTube. I've got a YouTube channel. Uh, so you can just search my name in YouTube or maybe we can link in the description or yep. something yep. and uh, follow, follow me on there. Awesome, so really appreciate you coming on. I no, wanted to get Ahmed me. on for a while now because um, his journey is gonna resonate with a lot of you. The getting started, the pessimism, the can I make it work, etc. What steps do I take on my journey? So I think there was some real gold dust in that today. I really appreciate you coming in and no, sharing your journey me. with everybody. Remember, the podcast is out every single Tuesday. It's on iTunes, it's on Stitcher. Make sure you've subscribed so you don't miss future episodes. I've been Kevin McDonald. he's been Ahmed Khan, you've been amazing, and I'll see you next week.